Well, we are working through the gospel according to John in a series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today we are in John chapter 11, uh, considering the seventh of seven of the miraculous signs of John's gospel and the fifth of seven I am statements. Okay, if this, if this, if you're, if this is your first time here, you're in the middle of something, okay? You're coming into the middle of something. So if you'd like to go back and catch up on what I'm talking about, uh, you can always go back and watch or listen online if you'd like. Uh, at any rate, both of these things, the sign and the statement, both reflect the, the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is more than just a man. He's more than just a teacher and prophet. John is presenting this story in John chapter 11 really as a culmination of all the evidence that he's presented so far as to the person and the work of Jesus. But in this story, in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, we see both a sign and a statement of the power of Jesus over life and death. Now, as modern Western people, we really struggle with the reality of death. Even though we know that death is real, and so much of our entertainment is just obsessed with death, still, almost everyone seems to functionally live their lives as if they'll live forever. And as a result, when some people get a bad diagnosis, bad news, they hear of someone who they love who is sick or dying, it's not just sad. It's not just difficult and painful. But for many people today, it's like this traumatic shock they never expected in life. Well, how as, as followers of Jesus, how might we be more prepared to face the reality of death in our own lives or in the lives of our friends and family members? Well, in this story today, really in one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, Jesus faces the illness and death of a close, dear friend. And how he responds not only reveals more about who he is, about his character, and how he thinks and what he does, but this reveals the power that Jesus has to change our perspective on life and death and life after death. This is really big. It doesn't really get much bigger than this. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter 11. We have a long passage, but it's all one story, and we'll unpack it as we go. So let's begin with verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was 
two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime, in the light, will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, let's pause here. So, so last week we saw that Jesus had been teaching in the temple courts in Jerusalem during the festival of dedication, during Hanukkah. And his teaching had sparked controversy, of course, again, if you've been with us in John's Gospel, because he claimed, yet again, to be one with God the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. People picked up stones to stone him to death for blasphemy, but Jesus was able to escape to the wilderness to the east of the Jordan River. And so it was at this place, from this place, a place of, of peace and safety, a place where John reported that many people believed in Jesus, a place that really welcomed him. And this is kind of the opposite of his reception in Jerusalem, right? So it was here, this place of safety and peace, where a messenger found Jesus and delivered the news that a man named Lazarus, his friend, was sick and likely going to die. Now Lazarus must have been a dear friend of Jesus because he's described here as the one you love. Now this is similar to how John, the apostle, describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I think that this is, okay, this is a little bit of a bonus lesson, okay? This is not the main point of this topic, but still think about it. This is how people who were close to Jesus saw not only their relationship, but their own identity. It wasn't even a question of whether or not Jesus loved them. Anyways, is that how you see yourself? Is your identity defined first and foremost by the love of Jesus for you? Okay, anyway, that was a bonus, okay? Anyways, through divine insight, Jesus knew that Lazarus had, wasn't just sick, but at some point he had passed away. And probably this would have been after the messenger was sent to go find Jesus, several days earlier. So the response of Jesus to this messenger is very similar to his reaction to Jairus, uh, the synagogue leader whose 12-year-old little girl had died. In both cases, Jesus says, that they've merely fallen asleep. Now, we know that they both, in both cases, they, they really died, and we know that Jesus knew that this was true. He wasn't mistaken. 
But as we'll see, if, if Jesus really does have authority over life and death, then maybe death isn't as big of a barrier to him as it is for us. Well, they're going to go, but the only problem with all this is that his friend Lazarus had lived in Bethany, which was a, few, was a small town just a few miles from Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus would have to go right back to the place, from a place of peace and safety and faith, right back into the lion's den, right back to the place where people wanted him dead. And this is what we see in Thomas's rea reaction to this. Thomas, Thomas gets such a bad rap as doubting Thomas. Okay, and we'll get to that in chapter 20 in John's Gospel. But here, Thomas basically says, listen, if the boss wants to go and die in Jerusalem, we better go with him. Now, this is the kind of friend that I want. This is the kind of brother that I want at my side, being with me, committed to me. Now, Jesus knows that his time or to use John's language, the hour of his suffering and death has not yet arrived. It's near, but it has not yet arrived. So, according to him, it's safe to go to Bethany. It's still the time when the light of the world is in the world. So they go. Even though Lazarus had already died, even though Thomas and probably the rest of the disciples assumed they were going to die themselves, Jesus says, this sickness will not end ultimately in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. The glory of God is, a th is, is really a theme, major theme in this passage. Jesus definitely had something big in mind, right? Let's keep going in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Uh, now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Whoa, okay, let's pause once again. So Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, I'm guessing the older sister, and also a close friend of Jesus, is this hardworking, faithful, wise woman. So Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and here she demonstrates incredible faith in Jesus as well. She's confident that the Father will give him whatever he might ask. And she doesn't, 
say specifically, but I think it's probably implied that she was hoping that he would be healed or maybe now raised from the dead. And Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. Now Martha thinks that he's referring to the general resurrection, which in in Jewish thought would come at the end of the age uh, along with the judgment day of God and the renewal of the heavens and the earth. These things are promised throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. Now this is why she says, I know that he will rise again in, in the resurrection at the last day. So both then and now, the hope of resurrection, the hope of life, life after death, was a great comfort in the shadow of death. But it's in this context of this kind of orthodox statement of faith that Martha makes that Jesus responds by revealing something new, something that the Jewish people did not fully understand yet, which was that Jesus says he himself is the resurrection and the life, saying the one who believes in me will not live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, as I said, this is the fifth of the seven I am statements in John's gospel because John loves the number seven. And here, if this statement is true, then it means that Jesus is the ultimate source of life, even life after death. Jewish people believed in life after death, but until Jesus, they didn't know how God would do it. And here, Jesus says that he is the way. And that we can receive this life. But how? Well, it is through faith in him. He says, the one who believes in me, there's the faith. You believe in the resurrection, he might say to Martha, good. But do you believe in me? And listen to this dear sister's response. (laughs) Yes, Lord. Yes, Rabbi. Yes, teacher. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has, is to come into the world. Now, so far in John's Gospel, Martha has the best, truest confession as to who Jesus is. She wins the prize. Okay, Peter had it, had it mostly right. Martha nails it. And so even in, notice, even in her grief and her pain, even through perhaps the tears still in her eyes, she could still see Jesus for who he was. Even before Jesus had healed or raised her brother, she confessed her faith in him. Martha is a beautiful model of faith. Well, what would Jesus do in response to his friend? Look at verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, and so they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Okay, let's pause one last time. Now this is such an emotional scene. You have Mary weeping at the feet of Jesus. You have all the other mourners there with Mary weeping with her. And then in, in the shortest verse in the Bible, we see Jesus himself weep at the tomb of his friend. A short time later, during the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, he would weep again. And that time, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem and the temple because he knew that it would be destroyed in 70 AD. Well, why is Jesus weeping here? Why does John say that he was deeply moved or he was really upset? He was troubled. Now, we already know that Jesus knew that Lazarus had died. So he wasn't crying here because he was just finding out that his friend who he thought was sick had actually passed away. We even know from verse 11 that Jesus fully intended to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why cry? If you know that you have the authority to raise someone from the dead, and you know that it is in your will to do so, why mourn? Where does this emotion come from? Well, John doesn't say explicitly, but given what we know from the whole rest of the Bible, and what it says about how valuable human life is to God and how deeply grieved God feels about the destruction and the devastation that sin and death cause in this broken world, perhaps the tears of Jesus were simply the right and righteous response of a loving God towards the terrible reality of death. Or perhaps he wept because of the hopeless nature of the mourning that Jesus saw all around him and that made him so upset. Lazarus was not gone forever, so why mourn as if he were? Now, of course, it's still sad when a believer falls asleep in death. So it's certainly appropriate to be sad and to miss being able to talk or laugh or have the companionship of a dear friend or family member who has passed away for a season. But for the Christian, death is never goodbye. In Christ, it's always until we meet again. So perhaps Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb because Mary and Martha had no one reminding them of the hope that they had in the shadow of death. 
Now, I suspect it was possibly a combination of both. Having been myself around people who are in deep mourning and loss, it's a complex set of emotions. But isn't it profound that even with what Jesus was about to do, he still could weep at the ugly intrusion of death into his good and perfect world. It still was wrong for his friend to have died. That he could weep at the hopelessness and fear that so many people feel in the face of death. Jesus wept. He could feel the appropriate emotional burden of death without losing his hope. Well, let's finish with the seventh miraculous sign, a sign of life. Look at verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. He said, But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is God's word. Well, here, in this incredible story of raising Lazarus from the dead, we have the final and the greatest of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed. But all of these seven signs point forward to one that is greater. Very intentionally, I believe, John tells this story in so many ways to foreshadow the greater resurrection of Jesus. And in both stories, there was a cave tomb. There was a stone that needed to be rolled away. There was a man wrapped in grave clothes who had been dead for days and therefore was way beyond the need for revival. He needed to be resurrected. Now, of course, all of these seven signs point to and are all superseded by the resurrection of Jesus, which not only broke the power of death for Jesus, but for anyone who believes in him. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus would become the means by which God would and could offer resurrection life after death for anyone, for all who would believe. But here Jesus demonstrates that he has that power, that he has that authority over life and death. The fact that Jesus specified 
who should rise, saying, Lazarus, come out, has been cited by many people over the years, many Christian commentators, including Don Carson, who writes, the authority of Jesus is so great that had he not specified Lazarus, all the tombs would have given up their dead to resurrection life in that moment. Just Lazarus for now. (laughs) This is the power of Jesus. He commands and all of creation obeys. This is the one who is the resurrection and the life. This is the Lord of the living and the dead and of the life everlasting. Now, we always ask, how might we apply this teaching to our lives today? Well, today, I think I'd like to give you something to think about and then an invitation. So first, something to think about. First, I want you to think. I really want you to take all of this in, into your heart, into your mind, and meditate on this story. Even in the busyness of this Christmas season, I'd like you to come back to this story again and again, not just today or this week, but over the course of time. Because we modern people do everything that we can not to think about death. As a result, we're shocked in the face of illnesses and tragedies that are common to all mankind in this broken world. We are terrible at mourning. But the truth is, is that death is part of reality in this current age. And so as Christians, we, we can understand why death is a part of life now, that it is a consequence of sin in the world. It's an intrusion on God's good and perfect creation. It's the problem underneath all of the problems. But we also can know that it was never supposed to be this way. In a sense, we can see that death is not natural, though it is a part of reality. Creation is all about life. Death is like an undoing of creation, which is why we need a new creation. So in reflecting on this story, I'd like you to think about something that most of us avoid. I want you to think about life and death. I want you to think about life after death for you and for the people in your life around you. This isn't a morbid Exercise. This is an exercise in living in light of reality. But more importantly, I want you to think about what this beautiful story reveals about who Jesus is and how he responded to the death of his friend. You see, Jesus never gives the impression that he's wondering or worried about whether or not he can do something about Lazarus' death. Did you notice the odd little detail all the way back in verses 5 and 6? Look back there if you would. It says, John says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Huh? It was because of his love for them that he waited to go? It was because of his love for them that he didn't heal his friend? 
Yes. Because he had better plans for him. He had a bigger plan for him. Plans that would result in the glory of God and not just the good of his friend. Plans that reveal an invitation to all people, even today. Here's the invitation. Do you want the eternal life, the abundant life that we've been talking about throughout this series and that every human being longs for? Well, this life can only be found by faith in Jesus' name. For he and he only is the resurrection and the life. That statement, that claim is either true or it's not. As John said in the prologue, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, only Jesus has the power and the authority over death. Only Jesus has the authority to raise us up from the grave, to free us from the tomb, to replace our grave clothes with a robe of righteousness and a ring on our finger. And this is the invitation, really, of John's whole gospel account. No longer do you need to avoid death or fear death. No longer must you mourn without hope no longer does death have to be a final goodbye because in Christ it's always and only until we meet again. Why? Because Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is the resurrection and the life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you and your power and your authority and just who you are would be so clear and so real to us in our, in our minds, in our hearts, in our imaginations that we too, Lord, would be able to see death not as something to rule over us in fear but as a door that we walk through so that we could be with you face to face as a barrier that is difficult, impossible for us to avoid, but is not impossible for you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would look to you when we feel sad, when we are in times of mourning, when perhaps we are mourning the loss of a spouse or a child, a, a dear friend, someone who means the world to us. Lord Jesus, would you be our comforter in those moments? Would you be our Prince of Peace? Would you be our source of strength and hope because we know that in you and only in you is the life everlasting, life evermore, a life so powerful, so real, it lasts even beyond death. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you would draw it, us in to this invitation to find our hope, to find our healing, and to find our life in you. It's in your great and powerful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.